This is Work on the Beat. It is Friday, May 27, 2022. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us. Mike Kern alongside me. Well, virtually. Uh, as we enter Memorial Day weekend. Big weekend. Big show on tap. One we're looking forward to. Hello, Michael. How are you? Yo. Yo. Uh, Happy Memorial Day, whatever to everybody. Yep. And uh, big show because, honestly, we feel honored to have our guest, our guest on today. Uh he has been a Philadelphia institution, uh, and this weekend he will say goodbye. Uh, his final two shows on 94 WIP with his buddy Glenn Mack now, uh, and at retiring after over 50 years in sports writing in the city, starting at the Bulletin, then at the Daily News, then went in the broadcasting. You did some work for Channel 3, correct, as well, Ray, didn't you? During the newspaper strike. Yes. That was, that was sort of my first foray into television was – when the newspapers went out in, was that 85, I guess, 84, yeah. 85, uh, when the big newspaper strike came in, um, you know, well, I mean, Mike, you lived it with me. I mean, we were, yep. newspapers were shut down for the better part of two months. We thought it might yep. be a week, it turned out to be like two months. And uh, the, the TV stations decided that they, they, with no newspapers, that they would ramp up their coverage. So they expanded their newscasts and they began bringing some newspaper people in uh, and putting them on the set with the uh, with, with the normal anchors, and so Channel Three um, Channel Three reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to come in and, and do some sports for them. So I did, and that was that was how that that was really my first venture into television. And then obviously to NFL Films, and then ninety four WIP. Well, back then it was six ten WIP. And, right. Um, you know, Ray. I, I guess the question is the the obvious one. You've been You've been honored, it seems like, by everybody since this announcement was made earlier in the month. What's this been like for you? Um, pretty overwhelming, Kevin. I didn't, I didn't expect, I didn't expect what happened. I mean, I thought, um, you know, I made the announcement uh, early in the month that my contract was running out at the end of the month, and I was not going to renew. I was going to retire, and I thought that'd be, you know, a few cards, a few letters, a couple phone calls. Uh, I didn't expect it to be much. Uh, but it's been, it's been a crazy month. I mean, just, um, I mean, hundreds, I mean, hundreds of cards, letters, phone calls, emails, uh, hearing from a lot of people that I you know, went to high school with people I hadn't talked to since graduation. Um, but you know, most of them, most of them have been, um, emails from people who say, you know, I never met you, but I feel like I know you. Uh, and, I can't tell you how many of those I've received. And they're from people that, you know, talk about, I don't know what I'm going to do with my weekends now. You know, on Saturdays when I'm taking my son to Little League or, you know, when I'm mowing the grass or when I'm painting the garage, I always had you and Glenn on. And um, it's what it's really, the, what it's really proven to me is how, without even realizing it, uh, we connect with people. You know, we become part of their lives. And, um, you know, and when you think about it, yeah, I mean, every Saturday they, they invite you into their kitchen to have coffee with them. They invite you into the car when they're going to run errands. They, you know, they feel a connection to you. That Sometimes you're not even really aware that it's there, but it's there. And uh, and this month, man, I have seen it a hundred times over. And it's really cool. I mean, it, it, people have been really nice. And the things that they've said have been very, very gratifying. Mike? Yeah, Ray, I had the pleasure I guess it was around 204 or something when I was doing a lot of WIP. I did about three of those 
Saturday shows with you from some um, hoagie shop in Delco. So, and, and they were, you are the easiest person. I, I guess you are one of the easiest people I've ever worked with. And I worked with you back at the daily news in 1980 when I was a clerk. But the one thing that has struck me through all this, Ray, is we all have people, you know, who are well-liked or, or well-regarded or well-whatever. I don't know anyone, and I'm not saying this to put, but who has ever had like a bad word to say about you. They might not agree with everything you say, but nobody, you know, some people say, hey, Mike's a jerk. Kevin's a jerk sometimes. Whatever. We have our moments. <laughs> That's my nobody wife. Nobody ever says that about Ray Diddinger. Um does that surprise you when you hear like somebody say that? Um, it does a little bit. Uh, it, it does a little bit because you would assume that there has to be somebody out there. I mean, there has to be, there has to be somebody that, you know, the old Abe Lincoln thing, you know, <laughs> about, um, about, you know, you can have you know, some of the people like you some of the time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but nobody, nobody likes everybody all of the time. And, um, I really haven't had much of that. And I can honestly say one of the most, maybe one of the most amazing things about these 50 years uh, is I have never had a bad experience in public. I have never had anybody, you know, walking through the parking lot before an Eagles game, walking through the tailgaters, and you know how wild that scene is, or walking on the streets or being somewhere, being at a Chickies and Pete's or someplace. To have somebody come up to me and say, you know, you're a jerk, or, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, not one. I mean, not one. Uh, I have never had one of those moments in public that you would think anybody, deservedly or not, that you're going to encounter. And I never have had one. And that's why when, you know, when Glenn sometimes gets gets on me about, you know, you stay, you talk to everybody. You stand and you talk to everybody. You know, when, when Glenn says that, you uh, Every time we're walking into a remote or walking out of a remote, I say, well, yeah, it's easy because no one's ever said a bad word to me. I've never had a single bad experience. And I guess it just goes back to something that, you know, my father taught me. And it was just, you know, treat people the way you would like to be treated. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. it, I mean, it's a very simple philosophy, yeah. but it's something that I learned at an early age. And that's, that's really all I've ever tried to do. I don't know that I've gone beyond that, but I mean, I've tried to be that. And, um, and it's, it's, what can I say? It's worked for me. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that. The great Ray Didinger joining us here on Working the Beat. Ray, you know, all three of us are Philly products. We all grew up, two of us are Catholic League products, you and I, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike is not, but you, all three of us have spent time at Temple. Um, and I often wonder this because I didn't go away to another city to work, and Mike didn't either. Do you think you would have been the same? If you had gone to Chicago or New York, would your depth of knowledge have played the same way in other cities that it did here? No, no, no. I mean, I would have been the same. Yeah. I mean, I would have approached. I would have approached the job the same way. I I would have been just as slow. I would have been just as slow a writer in Chicago <laughs> or New York. <laughs> I would have been just as slow in any city, uh, but I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been the same. And I don't think I would have been nearly as successful. I, I always thought that one of the things that was a tremendous advantage for me uh, as a columnist here was the fact that I was from Philly, mm-hmm. you know, at a time when the other columnists here, and they were great columnists. I mean, they really were. I mean, Frank Dolson, Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, you know, Tommy Cushman, 
Bill Conlon. I mean, all these guys. I mean, they're really good. Sandy Grady was in there too, right? And Sandy and Sandy Grady and Mark Wicker. Mm-hmm. I mean, great columnists, every one of them. But none of them are from here. You know, I mean, Dolson and Stan and Conlon were from New York. You know, Cushman and Bill Lyon were from the Midwest. Uh, Sandy and Mark Wicker were from the Carolinas. And they came here, and they certainly assimilated into the city very well. Um, but they weren't from here. Uh, I had Philly in my bones. I had Philly in me from the time I was born. Um, this is the sports culture I grew up in. These are the teams I grew up with. And I always thought that at big moments, that helped. You know, I, I didn't have – when the Phillies won – when I was covering the Phillies in the 1980 World Series and they won it, uh, I didn't have to try and imagine what this meant to the Philadelphia fans because I knew. I mean, I, I, I knew. My family, I knew what they, I knew how they felt. I knew how I felt. So it was just an easy – it was just easy to, to have that feeling – because it's in your bones, it's in your DNA. And I think that, I think that helped me a lot. I mean, if I had, and I had opportunities to go elsewhere. I had offers to, um, to work in different cities and I never really, I mean, I talked to the people and, uh, but I never really seriously entertained the thought. Cause if, I'm, if this was what I was going to do, if I was going to be a sports writer and I was going to do that wherever I was, why would I want to do it anywhere but here? I just, I just felt that this was home for me. And I was going to be better here than I was going to be someplace else. So, I mean, I had, I had the great good fortune to spend 53 years in this business and never have to leave Philadelphia. I always thought that was, you know, I always thought it was a great advantage for me and something that, uh, you know, I'm grateful for to this day. Do you think that, and I'll let Mike get in here in a second, but do you think That's that, great, uh, do you think that institutional memory, because we don't see that as much anymore. Mike Silski's a rarity, but Mike also did go to the wall street journal for a bit. Um, and, and kind of polishes that local knowledge is not as prevalent in today's journalism as it was, as you experienced it. And maybe even as Mike and I grew up in the business as well. Do you think that's lost a little bit at this point? Um, there, there's a lot that has changed about the business a lot. Um, I mean, I mean, in, in, in every aspect of right. transmitting stories, just the technology, the equipment we work on. The deadlines. I mean, it's so. I mean, it's it's as different as night is from day now from what it was. But that but that is part of it. Yes, I think that is part of it. And I and I really do feel. I mean, I feel grateful multiple ways for everything that's happened. But one of the things that uh, that I feel good about, and I've said this before, is I I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like I I, I caught the last really great wave. You know, I I kind of felt like, you know. The waves are coming in, and I get the surfboard, and I got the last really, really good one uh, coming in in the late 60s. Because, you know, when I came in, I actually got to work with Red Smith and Jimmy Cannon and Dick Young and uh, and Shirley Povich uh, and those guys, that whole generation of, of the older guys that we all looked up to. I got to work with them. I sat at my first Super Bowl. I was sitting next to Red Smith uh, at the World Series at the AFC Championship. I was sitting next to Jimmy Cannon. Um, so I got, I got the benefit of a little bit of their saltiness and their experience early in my career and then rode it right through the seventies, you know, when the, when Philadelphia had that tremendous sports renaissance, um, uh, and for all of us, Mike, me, I mean, we, we know what it was like in the papers in this town, when the daily news after the bulletin, sadly, the bulletin folded and I was at the daily news, daily news was doing 300,000 papers a day. We had an incredible budget. We had all the money in the world. We had all the space in the world. We had an editor that was only too happy to spend it. 
uh, and and there wasn't anything that we couldn't do uh, as a newspaper, as a sports department, and we were good. We were really good, and to be part of that at a time when you know, sort of, ESPN really hadn't blossomed. Sports talk radio wasn't really here. Um, newspapers, people got the people really got their information from newspapers, uh, and to be part of that was really great. I mean, I look back on it and think, you know, I. I, I was my timing was really good because I really think that I was a sports writer probably the best time that you could have ever been a sports writer. Mike, yeah, yeah, and Ray, Ray real quick, I'll show, I, Eddie Barker would share the email that you had sent to him about how um, the great Bob Ryan at the Boston Globe had said we're really good, but you guys are better. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we really did have a great staff. I mean, I was a very very small part of it, but man. You picked up the paper every day. If you didn't write something good, you know, it just wasn't going to fly, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, I got to ask you, Ray, was one of the highlights of your career covering a couple Masters with Michael Jack down at Augusta? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I I really enjoyed enjoyed that covering golf, and I always enjoyed traveling with you. Um, that, that, That was a lot of fun. Um, Didn't I try to talk you one year? And I, I never forget the guy who finished second was some Parry from Australia or something. And you were like, Michael, Mike, what, what do you think I should write? And I said, How about Parry? And you looked at me like I had sick you on the butt. There's no way I'm writing Parry, Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll figure something out here. <laughs> but you, you guys, you, I had Rich Dan, you guys were great to work with because we never stepped on each other and we just had fun and we, we just went out and wrote good stories. Right. Um, I always, I always tried to be a good teammate. Um, I mean, it was, and listen, that, you know, every Eagles game back in those days, we'd have seven or eight guys in an Eagles yeah. game. And when, it's, and when it was all over, you know, you had to divide up the stories, you know, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And I, I would always, you know, I would always defer, you know, I mean, okay, whatever, you guys take what you want. I'll take whatever's left over. I, um, I remember World Series that were like that, 80 World Series, 83 World Series. We had so many guys there. And you're whacking up the game in the seventh or eighth inning, just who's going to do what? Um, I just understood that uh, you know, you guys do what you want to do. I'll take what I'll take whatever's left, and I'll be I'll be grateful for it. Um, it was um, it was really it was really a, a great time. And you know what you said about the and what I wrote in the email to uh, to to Ed was was really true. I remember uh, we were at a World Series. It was me and Bob Ryan, who was uh, an absolute you know. I mean, he was a Boston Globe guy to the to the core. I mean, there was nobody that was more Globe centric than Bob Ryan, and and they had a hell of a sports section. They really did. And I said that to him. I said, "Boy, I said your your paper. I mean, you know, Boston Globe. I said that is one great sports section." He said, "Yeah, we're good, but you guys are better." Wow. Uh, and I I always remember that because I know I know how proud he was of the Globe and how yeah. good they were. But he said that without blinking. I mean, he said, "No, we're, you're, you're better." And you know what? I, I agree with him. I think that in those years in there, I think our sports section was the best in the country and probably the best, may, might be the best, the best reading sports section that, uh, that I've ever seen. And I was proud right. to be a part of it. Do you think when we were doing it back then, do you think we realized how good we were? or did? And I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back. I don't mean it that way. The Inquirer had great writers. The Rotor Papers in America had obviously great writers. But we were really good. Or did we just take it for granted that we were really good and this was the standard we had to live up to because Rathit would not have 
you know, demanded anything less. He, I mean, he let us do whatever we wanted, but we had to produce too. That was part of the deal. Um, yeah, um, but I, I, I was really aware of it. I was really aware of how okay. good we were. I, I mean, I really was. And it went, it went top to bottom. I mean, every beat, we had a really good guy on the beat. Our college coverage was really good. You know, we had Ted Solari, who was the best yeah. high school writer ever yes. covering the schools. So, I mean, everything that was happening, whether it was the pros, whether it was the colleges, or even all the way down to the high schools, I mean, we were really, really good. And you picked up that paper every day. I mean, you could just you could spend the whole night reading our sports section. I mean, it was and it was thirty pages deep, and every page you turned to was a gem. I mean, it was. You know, I oh, I was real aware of how good we were because because I travel in the country, I would see the other sports section. You know, I saw the Globe; they were really good. You know, I saw the New York Post; they were good. I mean, I saw the Dallas Morning News, L.A. Times; they were good. The Trib, but right? I you know, I I, I agree with Bob Ryan. We were better. And we were better for a long period of time. We had really good people. And, you know, Rathit was a tough boss. I mean, he was a tough, demanding boss. He gave you all the resources. He would, you know, he would, he would sign the expense. He would sign the expense accounts if you wanted to travel. And he would give you the space to write your stories. But they better be good stories or you're going to hear about it. Yeah. When, it's funny because, you know, look, I, I, I said this to Ray in my email to him after the announcement. That's why I wanted to get into journalism was reading that Daily News Sports section and the Inquirer. I mean, I, I was a two-paper yeah. guy because we had the honor box sure, on my absolutely. corner. And it was, you know, you, you would have, you know, Conlon and Hockman and Hoffman. Richie, it's funny. You mentioned about divvying up assignments. Richie talked about the 93 World Series. You did not cover that, correct? Did you cover Phillies Blue Jays? Uh, 93 Series? No. You were You were on football primarily at that point, right? Right. Rich had to be the go-between between Stan and Bill. Right. And get the columns. And he talked about it was like trying to cross the DMZ sometimes mm-hmm. uh, because of how bad kind of things were that Stan would float an idea that he wanted, but he would then change it to something he didn't want So and tell Rich, hey, I want to do this, so Bill would do it, so Stan would get his first choice. So we should point that out. But but those that caliber of writing... Look, because as you said, the times have changed. I mean, you know, writers have to be photographers now, you know, with video cameras. And, the and our lock- deadlines were different too, Kevin. Right. I mean, right. we had time to write. And the, and the locker room access isn't as good either. So there's a lot of things that have played into it. Let me, yeah. let me, let me pick your brain here on current events. I want to kind of go over the state of the four franchises. I heard you talk to Angelo on Thursday. You're impressed by what the Eagles have done this offseason. Not like Super Bowl level impressed, but no. but you think that they've really taken a step forward here. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that they're I think they're pretty good. I mean, if uh, you look at what they did this offseason, the moves they made, they're good. I mean, Reddick was a really good signing. Um, I, I really like Davis. Uh, I, I really like I really I love Nakobe Dean. I mean, I, I think it's gonna be so much fun to actually see an Eagles linebacker who can make a play, you know, and, and he will. Um, A.J. Brown uh, is a really good receiver. Uh, Bradbury and Slay will now be two really good corners. Um, no, they're they're good. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think Sirianni's a pretty good coach. Uh, I mean, he showed me early last season, I had my doubts, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought over the course of the whole season, I thought he did a good job, and I would expect him 
in his second year to be even better. But, you know, I mean, we all know it's really going to come down to the quarterback. I mean, if, yep. if Jalen Hurts has to, has to get better, I think he's, I think he's pretty good. You know, I, I don't have any questions about him being good, but if to really win in the NFL, your quarterback has to be better than just good. And can he be that guy? I think we'll have a better, I think we'll get a better idea this year because he's certainly going to have better people around him. Uh, he'll hit on a coach who's a year grounded and probably be better at his play calling and design. Uh, and now we'll see exactly what he can do at the quarterback position. But no, I think the roster is good. Uh, I think the personnel is significantly improved. I think the schedule is very favorable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at that schedule, especially early. It, oh, it's, it's not. A, it's not a stretch to say. This sounds crazy. It's not a stretch. They could be seven and one. You know, I mean, they, they should certainly be four and zero. And they haven't been 4-0 since the first year of T.O. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, they should get out of the blocks in really good shape and, you know, kind of get it rolling. But the schedule, I think, is really favorable. I mean, December, yeah, they got the three road games. I know I get that. But they have an opportunity early in the season to get off to a really good start. And listen, that's that was part of what happened in 2017. You know, that team, that team started fast and just built up momentum and developed that chemistry that, by the end of the year, they were able to weather the injury to Wentz and weather the injury to Peters, you know, because by that point, they really believed in what they were doing. And, uh, you know, we'll have an opportunity. That was year two of Peterson. This is year two of Sirianni. You know, I think they're I think that they're going to be pretty good. I really do. Is Hertz? I mean, Hertz is obviously the guy under the most pressure. Is the second most pressure on Gannon at this point? With Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. I, in fact, I forget who I was on with uh, in the last week or two, but I, but I said that. Um, yeah, I, I, I have my doubts about Cannon, to be honest with you, watching him last year, uh, and especially watching him sitting next to Seth Joyner watching him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seth is not a Jonathan Gannon believer, believe me. But um, I, I recognize there were certain personnel limitations there that he was trying to do the best he could with it. Um, but um, now – you know, they've given him some better pieces than what he had. You know, Hassan Reddick is, is a good pass rusher. Uh, Nicobe Dean is a really good linebacker. Davis, I think, can be a, a dominant player inside, really. Uh, Bradbury and Slay. I mean, they've got, he's got better players now. Uh, but he's, now he's got he's to fit them in. And, and part of it is that they all need to be coached a specific way. Mm-hmm. You know, Hassan Reddick... What he does is he he gets after the quarterback. That's what he is. So it's up to Jonathan Gannon to set up the defense that that's what he does. You know, if, if he's got his son Reddick playing 15 yards off, backpedaling, running with the tight end, then, okay, coach, that's on you. You know, you got to put this guy in a position where he does what he does best. If you've got Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis, should, he's a natural nose tackle. He's got to play nose tackle. You can't ask him to be a three technique. He's got to let him do what he does best. Same thing with Bradbury. You know, and that's going to be interesting with Bradbury and Slay. They're very different corners. I mean, Slay is a guy who's an, an absolute press man corner. That's what he is. That's what he does. Bradbury is a zone player. I mean, you can ask him to press, but he's better off playing zone. So you've got two guys there that are good, but aren't necessarily compatible by scheme. So, you know, okay, how he's given Jonathan Gannon better players where I am right now is I, I'm sort of saying, okay, coach, go coach. Mm. You know, you got better players right now. Let's see what you can do with them. Because the personnel is there to be pretty good. 
but a lot of it is on Ga- how Gannon utilizes them. Uh, let me switch to the Phillies. Um, you know, Joe Girardi is a lightning bolt right now, but it's an overall mediocrity of the franchise, isn't it? Even more than the manager. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Girardi's the is an easy target right now, and um, and he's and he's taking the heat, but um, they got they got other problems. Um, part of it, you know, Kevin. I mean, you're you're down there all the time. I mean, you you see him. Yeah, the lineup. Everybody talks about how potent it is, and, and I guess it is. But it's it doesn't it doesn't fit together. Oh. You know, they don't have a leadoff hitter. They don't have any speed. You know, Reese Hoskins is Reese Hoskins is not a leadoff hitter. I'm sorry, he's just not. But they're they're trying to figure it out. And you know, some people say, well, Girardi keeps shuffling the lineup. Well, I kind of understand what he's doing. He's trying to find a lineup that'll fit, a lineup that'll work. And in some years, you get your personnel, and it's real easy. You know who one is. You know who two is. You know three, four. It all kind of falls into place. They don't have that kind of lineup right now. They got pretty good players, but they all have to kind of fit a certain way. And offensively and defensively, it ain't there yet. It, it really isn't. And the bullpen remains the bullpen. You know, um, it's. I think over the course, I, my feeling about them is they're good enough. I think they're going to be good enough to drive you crazy. You know. They're going to be good enough to put together stretches like the one on the West Coast, you know, where they go out there, they beat Seattle, and they almost sweep the Dodgers. And you're going to think, wow, they really got it. And then they're going to come and they're going to have a stretch like they got now, where they lose games and throw games away and play stupidly and the bullpen blows games. And then they'll and people will get disgusted. And then they'll come back and the bats will get hot and they'll win a few. Okay, now we got it. And then they'll lapse again. You know, I, I just think it's going to be one of those summers. And frankly, this is one of the reasons I'm not all that sorry about retiring. Because I think at WIP, I think at WIP, it's just going to be a constant. Yeah, here we go, and then oh, these guys stink. Kind of right. summer. I think, it, right. I think, it's, going to, I think it's going to be this. Did they make the playoffs? I said at the beginning, Glenn and I disagreed on this. At the beginning of the year, Glenn absolutely had him in the playoffs, and right. I forget he ninety-five wins or something. <laughs> and, I, and I and I and I said, you know, no, I I don't I don't see it. I just I they're they're not good defensively. They got no speed. Um, the I think, lineup, I don't see how the, I don't know how you're going to set your lineup. I don't think they have a leadoff hitter. I hated what they had in center field. Um, and the bullpen to me was still very questionable. Um, so I said, you know, I know, look, they, the way they keep expanding the playoffs pretty soon, you know, I don't know that making the playoffs is all that big a deal now. But yeah. I, I didn't think, I said, just, just to be on the other side of the argument, <laughs> you know, Glenn was so sure they were going to be really good. And I think you said 83 wins. any question. Right. I said I said no. Yeah, I thought you said like eighty three wins, maybe eighty three to eighty five. You were yeah. in that. You were in that range. I think. Yeah, th- that that's where I was. That's where I was, and I said, you know, if that gets you in, that gets you in. But to sit here and say, oh yeah, they're a lock for the playoffs, I didn't. I didn't see it. I, I thought that they were. I thought they were a low eighties to maybe on a, maybe a mid eighties team, but but I didn't see them as being any better but, than that. But you're right. And a lot of the problems right, they're having right. now are problems I foresaw. No, but you're right. With a week and a half to go, I said this to Kevin last year. With a, with a week or a week and a half, they'll be in the hunt. Oh, I sure. mean, regardless of what you think the hunt is, and it'll if they don't, it'll be frustrating because the last two years they've been in the hunt with, with nothing. So yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Eighty three, eighty five, somewhere in there, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I think. I, I think. Well, here, okay, here's I'm my sorry. question, Kevin. And Kevin, you're you're closer to it than either Mike or I. Um, I mean, are they are they likely to make a move and uh, before the trade deadline here? I mean, if they 
if they keep sputtering along like this, or they, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what they would trade for, unless maybe it's another relief pitcher or something. But I mean, do you think that is Dombrowski itchy enough and frustrated enough with what he's seeing? First, first of all, I guess the question would be, would they fire the manager? I don't see that. I don't see that either. Or, or would they at, at the trading deadline try and throw something together? to go out and make a deal and what would they be dealing for? Well, and the thing is, do you have assets to make a deal? And I don't right. know, I, you know, their farm system, look, the areas they would need would be bullpen and center field. And right. it's not exactly one bullpen is something that everybody in the world wants at this point. I mean, even if you're a good team, you, you go get bullpen arms because there's not enough of them. Um, and center field. I don't know if there's a game changer there that you say, okay, on a short term, like a rental basis you could get because that's that's what they would have to play in. Uh, so will they try to make a move? Sure. Could they do something on the periphery? Yeah. Uh, the guy that would be interesting would be Hoskins uh, because of his contract status coming up. Um, you know, and they do have first base types that they could use. You know, they could put Harper there if he ever gets healthy enough. They could put Real Mudo there. They could put Bohm there. Um, hell, they could put Schwarber there. Uh, but I just don't know if that's a realistic option at this point. You know, it's it's still you notice right mid June is when the market kind of develops. So we're about two three weeks away. I mean, if they go to New York and get bombed out, you know, it could be a seller's market at that point. Um, mm-hmm. I think the thing with Girardi that disappoints me though is look the bullpen. I thought he would be better handling the bullpen, but he doesn't have much there. Okay. The lack of fire. I mean, he is. He's zombie reading, man. He is reading the phone book every night. I mean, this is. That doesn't play well here. And I'm really surprised because if you watch the Yankees enough, there were those moments he, he would lose his mind and at least make you feel good if you were a, a Yankee fan that the, and maybe in your own clubhouse that the manager was fighting for you. And I don't see that at all with him at this point, right? What do you think? Yeah, um, I'm a little surprised in that. I, I know that there was uh, the view of him in New York that they called him, you know, Binder, Binder Joe. Joe. That he was, you know, he was a guy that was really, even though when he came here, some people were saying, whether well, they're glad to be, you know, rid of the previous manager because he was so analytics driven. Well, everything I knew about Girardi was he was just, I mean, he was an analytics guy too. I mean, this idea that he was, old school space. No, I don't think he is. I mean, I think that was a, I think that was a, mis, I think that was a, a misconception from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of what he was in terms of how he manages. And, um, and I remember that there was sort of a, a I don't want to say dispassionate, uh, but, a, um, you know, an aloofness to his style of leadership. And, you know, he was certainly not considered fiery. I mean, he had a couple of episodes where he got a little testy with the media right. uh, and, but for the most part, he was a pretty um, he was a pretty steady as she goes right. kind of guy, and that's and that's sort of what you're seeing here. But you're, I think you're right in in that you know when a team's playing the way this team's playing, that that does not work well in this town. They have a manager who, like for example, perfect example was last week when you have the play when Dusty Wathan sends Herrera and gets him thrown out by ten feet at home plate, where he's mm-hmm. just dead. He's, I mean, he's dead in the water. Um, and you know, and you, and you have Harper in the on deck circle. I mean, come on. Yeah. And 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 Girardi gets asked the question about that call, that decision to send the runner. Oh, I'm and okay Joe with says, it. Right. And Joe says, "Yeah, I'm okay with it." Oh, come on. 
I mean, how, how dumb do you think we are? I mean, if, if you're okay with it, then guess what? You're, you're not a real smart baseball guy. I mean, that play made no sense eight different ways. So I'm not saying that you, that you kill your third base coach, but you can say, yeah, in that spot, I probably, I, I wouldn't have done that or something like that, but try it, but at least give people a semblance of an honest answer. But on a play like that, that was just so clearly obvious for anybody who knows anything about baseball, it was an, ob- it was an obviously bad call mm-hmm. to get to ask the question, say, no, I'm okay with it. You know what that does? That just undermines your credibility with the fans. I mean, they see that and the fans start to wonder, A, does this guy care? Right. Does he even care about whether we win or lose? Or secondly, does he really just not know baseball? And that also, I'll go to the locker room as well, because look, I'll go back to the Schwarber night when Schwarber lost his mind on Angel Hernandez. And Joe comes out and Schwarber's like demonstrating and acting and all all Joe does is you got to be better than that angel and turns and walks away. Like guys, it sounds juvenile, but guys do want to see passion out of their manager to protect them, you know? And Joe didn't do it that night. And I just got that sense. I'm not in that locker room as much as I used to be, but I get the sense that the modern player still does care about that. And I think Joe has lost him in that sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of feel the same thing. I kind of feel the same thing. And, and a game like the other night in Atlanta, I mean, the, the play at second base is just, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's beyond bad news bears to play like that. I mean, you should, you should not, you should not have plays like that in major league baseball. And the fact that they could have one like that, it just, it just speaks to how right now uh, disjointed this whole team is. I mean, some of your big bats you traded for, you know, are, frankly, are a disappointment at this yeah. point. I mean, if you look at him, um, I mean, I know Schwarber's hit some long balls, but he's barely hitting 200. And Castellanos now has been in a terrible slump. I mean, nobody's making a big deal about it, but he's been in a terrible slump. I mean, thank God that the national, thank God the DH came to the national league this year. If they, if they had, if they had Bryce Harper on the disabled list right now, they yeah. might be buried. They would be. I mean, they, they might, they might be out. They might be out of this race right now. I and- mean, He's, he's basically carrying him with one arm. And Real Muto is the other guy who's been disappointing to this point, yeah. too. Yeah, um, for sure. Mike, do you want to ju- jump in here on uh, – I was no, going to – everything you uh, – no, Real Muto, you gave him the contract. You had to give him the contract, I suppose. And uh, when you give 30-year-old catchers contracts like that, he's still a great catcher. I mean, I'm not knocking that, but like Ray said, if, if it wasn't for the DH, they'd be 11 or 12 games out. Against a team that's missing three of their best pitchers. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, it, well, no, it's not, Kevin. It's totally believable. It's Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, Sixers Flyers. Uh, oh, Sixers. Yeah, no, we, go Sixers. Go. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm I'm gonna throw a theory by you. I know you're not a social media guy. Joel Joel Embiid is starting to lay the groundwork here. If things don't go well in the next year or so, maybe to pave the exit. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I think some of the the little back and forth he had with Jimmy Butler and some of the way he answered some of the questions about, you know, I love you, which we wish we were still together. Um, I mean, is that is him saying, I wish you were still here? Or is that Joel saying, I wish I were playing Hold a spot on South Beach for me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I think he's, um, the whole arc of his career and his whole history of injury is such that 
you know, I don't know how many big years he's got left. You know, I, I really don't. Might only be one. I, I don't know that it's going to, I doubt that's going to be more than two. Um, I mean, it could be, this could have been it. You know, this may have been the apex. And next year, you know, you'll, you'll see him start breaking down. His history would suggest that's possible. But, you know, where they are now as a, as a team is just, you know, I think they're in a really bad spot. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with Harden. Um, I just thought it was so, I just thought it was so ironic that after everything, that all that was said about Ben Simmons and how disappointing he was in the playoffs last year, um, that this season ended with James Harden turning into Ben Simmons. You know, the fourth quarter of the elimination game, the guy holding the ball isn't willing to shoot it. I mean, James Harden became Ben Simmons. I mean, that, that to me is, is the most ironic part of this whole ouster, is that here they go out in the second round again, and it's because the guy bringing the ball up doesn't want to shoot it. And, and, and hey, by the way. it's Ben Simmons, but it's actually James yeah. Harden. And I'm not taking anything away from Embiid. Look, he's been – he could have been the MVP each of the last two years. Okay, he did. So he finished second, whatever. What has he won? Like, and I'm not, not trying to put it all on him. I don't mean it that way. But the Toronto series three years ago, he wasn't great. He's been injured. He was injured last year when they lost, you know, and he wasn't very good in the fourth quarters last year, some of those Hawk games. And he wasn't very good in, and I know he's playing with a broken, I get it. But really, like for Joel Embiid to go out and tweet something like that the other day, I got a problem with that. Whether he was doing it for whatever his reasoning was. Yeah, he, there's he a theory that he was, there was a theory he was doing it because of Inter Milan, the so, or I'm sorry, Inter Miami, the soccer team and, but I don't care, Kevin. What I'm saying The timing is, was awful. I, his timing's always awful. And, and we always give Joe the benefit of the doubt because he's Joe. And I get that. But he can be a yappy, little, immature guy sometimes. And he's a great player. I'm not taking any away. But in the scheme of the NBA, what the hell is Joel Embiid one? And his Ray is saying his window could be closing. So yeah. I'm just saying maybe he should just shut up Go to Maury and say, get me a better team or get some better players in here, and let's see what we can do next year. Because, quite frankly, I think Philadelphians are going to get sick of this, and maybe sooner than later. Right. You know? <laughs> I, next year, they might not be that. You know, I don't know what Harden's going to be like next year, and I don't know what pieces they're going to put in this puzzle to go with their four big guys if Tobias is still here. You know, whatever. And... um. I, I don't see them getting to the uh, finals next year. Ray, a lot can happen. Ray, are they the, one next year? But sorry about that. Ray, are they the fran- right. are they the franchise in the city in the biggest trouble right now? Uh, I'm sorry. Are they the franchise in the city that's in the biggest trouble right now? Don't know the hockey team is. I figured I I'd ask the question because you didn't paint a pretty picture of them either. No, it, now, it, the it, Phil- it, the it, Phillies aren't in great shape either, guys. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but the but the Flyers are the Flyers yeah. are in, in in desperate shape, and and it's uh, and it's it goes from the top all the way down. I mean, they're, they're only they're, a couple pieces away, right? Right, they're a couple pieces away. Drysidle, McDavid. If they get those two pieces, they'll be fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, Ray. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and you know, the, I've, I've watched a little of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the playoffs have been very good this year. They've been really good. Yeah, really. Uh, 
so on the one hand, I'm enjoying watching good hockey. Okay. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm sitting there and I'm just shaking my head saying, God, the Flyers aren't even close. Yeah. You know? and, right. and, um, you know, and how can somebody, can somebody explain to me how Chuck Fletcher is still, <laughs> he's the guy that they're trusting to rebuild this thing, considering he built what they are right now. I mean, and when, when the president had that press conference in mid season and said, you know, you know, Don Chuck's going to, he's, he's good as general manager. Probably going to make a coaching change. But, you know, now nah, Chuck's the general manager. I was like, what? I would have fired him before the coach. And now all of a sudden you're going to, okay, Chuck, let, you know, let, let's start rebuilding this. What do you mean? You build what you've got right now. Um, if, you're, if you're a real hockey fan, if you're a Flyer fan, if you've been a longtime ticket holder, why the heck would you buy tickets to go see this team next year? What? What reason do you have that they're going to be any better than they were this year? I mean, no. I mean, I guess they're, they're counting on their coaching hire, whoever they hire to coach, will somehow give the people a reason to believe. But even if it is a John Tortorella, even if that, even if that is that, even if it is a Barry Trotz, even if it is one of those guys, what makes you think that, that, that this general manager is going to get him the pieces to build a team that's going to be competitive? I, I just don't get it. And as somebody who really likes hockey and, you know, I was part of the original flyer group back in 67, 68, you know, paying my general admission and going in and sitting anywhere I wanted to sit. Um, it, it pains me to see what the team is right now, because I mean, they are, they are God awful. And I don't see any way. I don't see any reason to believe they're going to be any better next year. The other three team. Well, the, two of the other three teams in town have active owners. Jeffrey Lurie's an active owner. John Middleton is an active owner. I think Josh Harris is an active owner, even though he has so many other interests. Is this the problem with corporate ownership that you end up with something like this, where Dave Scott's basically Dave Scott's not Ed Snyder, you know, and he's appointed the wrong people, and nobody there is really like you know cracking the door to stop it. Uh, I think that's I think that's part of it. I mean, they went from the ownership of Ed Snyder, who was the ultimate hands-on owner. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost to a fault. I mean, you know, micromanaging everything and, you know, in mid-season trading prospects for older guys to try to try and win it like right now. I mean, he really, really wanted to win. And sometimes it, sometimes it, it, it wasn't helpful. Sometimes it actually was harmful, but there was never any question that Ed Snyder was actively involved uh, and knew the game uh, and wanted to win and cared about winning um, this organization. You don't get that feeling at all. I mean, the only thing this organization cares about is gritty. I mean, that's, you know, is, is just making sure they get gritty's face on as many t-shirts and hoodies as they can, because that's the only thing they can sell. They can't sell the team. They can't sell the logo. They can't sell the names on the back of the jerseys because nobody cares. Nobody knows. The only thing they can sell is gritty. Uh, and that's, that's what the flyers have become now. I mean, the Broad Street Bullies have become a mascot, and that's wow. you know, and I don't I don't know how, you know, and and that that doesn't just happen on the ice. I mean, that's that's a failure of organization, and that goes all the way to the top. So I mean, they have they have to really take a, I mean, they have to take an honest look at what they are, and just say, well, we had a couple bad breaks, or yeah, I had a couple bad drafts. No, I mean, you have to take a step back and say, no, we're screwed up. I mean, we're we are really on the wrong track. And we got we got to bring new people in, and we got to get a new direction, and we got to find our way out of the woods. It isn't just a bad accident we got here. 
we're down here because we belong to be here. And they, you know, they need to turn it around. But the sad thing is, even if they get that, even if they understand that, it's something that's not going to happen overnight. I mean, the Flyers are going to be a long time digging themselves out of the hole they're in. Mike? <laughs> I thought I couldn't feel worse about the Flyers until I just heard Ray talk for two minutes, but there was nothing he said that I didn't agree with. Well, and, so. and, and, I, and I, look, you and I have <laughs> talked about it on here before. Ray, I don't know if the ownership – look – I know it's a former employer of yours or soon to be former employer of yours. I don't know if Comcast wants to be in the sports business anymore. I mean, you know, uh, look, we've heard the rumors about the Flyers status and, you know, the, the cable network and everything going on, you know, because it's more of a national kind of deal. I think that what you're seeing is that is part of what's going on with, with the franchise itself is that it's kind of fallen by the wayside because I don't know if I, it's almost like they're having a reckoning within the walls that, Comcast Center at this point. Yeah, I, I kind of get that feeling too. Um, but it just seems to me that they just don't know how they to don't do know it. What they, want. they just don't. Yeah, they just don't know. They don't know what they want to be. Yeah. Uh, and they've tried to with some of the new people in there. They've tried to distance themselves from the old flyers. I mean, there's a feeling within the organization that you know this story. This story. The flyers have have lived in the past too long. You know, and that was valid to a point. Well, yeah, but um, I'm after they hang on to the old Broad Street bully thing a little too long. Yeah, I could say it, but it was it was fifty years ago, right? Uh, but you know, that past is a hell of a lot better than your present. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's fine to move. It's fine to move on from that oh, if you feel like man. you need to move on from that. But don't <laughs> don't go from that off a cliff. Okay, if you got something better. If you can build a new identity that's a good identity and you are and you can win with it, fine. You can say, yeah, we can't be stuck in the past. You know, we got to keep moving. We got to get ahead. Okay. I don't totally disagree with that, but not this. You know, yeah. don't trade that for what you got now, which is a, which is a mascot and nothing else. You know, that's, that's, and the people in this town are smart enough for it. And, you know, I, I was in a building this year. I mean, I saw that, that, that place was empty. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the attendant, what, what they were announcing for attendance, but you went in there, the place was empty. And, um, and, the, and the sad part is people weren't, there, there wasn't even any real anger. It was more apathy and people had kind of accepted that this is what they were. And that's wow. when you reach that point, look, we've all seen yeah. the Phillies and the Eagles get booed when they're bad, but at least the people are engaged. At least the people, the anger is not a bad thing. People that tells you they still care. They're beyond caring with the Flyers now, and that's a really dangerous place to be. What is the one thing you're going to miss the most about doing this type of stuff? Not this particular podcast, but oh, you know no, what I mean. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it is this. It is this. Um, you know, whenever whenever you, me, one of the three of us, whenever you talk to former athletes, guys that are retired now, been out of the game, and you say, well, what do you miss? What's the first thing I always say? Oh, I miss the guys. Locker I miss the room. locker room. I miss the locker room. I miss the guys. I miss the camaraderie. I miss being around the guys. And, and that's, that's what I'm going to miss. I, you know, I mean, the locker room, the, the press box is our locker room, okay? The press box is our locker room. And that interaction, that, you know, that, you know, uh, busting each other's chops kind of stuff that goes on in there, the laughter, the, the needling, the funny stuff, uh, the just hanging out with guys that you know and guys that you like, I mean, the same thing that the players have going on in the locker room, we have in the press box. 
And so, you know, that's what I'm going to miss. That's what I'm going to miss. I'm not going to miss. I'll miss the work some. Uh, and I'll miss the interaction with the fans, which is always fun. But what I'm really going to miss is just is just the hanging out. I'm going to miss the time in the press box because that was great. That was great. I mean, it was um, I mean, you were working, but you were having a good time. And I, I really that's the thing I'm going to miss. I, I like the fact that I'm still going to see guys around. Right. I mean, I'll still be around a little bit, so I'll get a little bit of that. But on a day in and day out basis, um, the press box to me was just a fun place to be. And I, and I will miss that part of it. Yeah, you're going to get a cell phone now, Ray. No. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have any regrets when you look back at 50-some years? Because um, we all maybe think of things that we could have maybe done different. And, but but do you have any regrets? Or are you satisfied that, hey, I did what I did, and it's all, okay. it's all good? Mm -mm. No. I mean, I really not. Uh, I really not. And that's, that's one of the things that I – that's part of the, one of the reasons I'm retiring because I don't want to have a regret, you know? I mean, okay. at this point, at this point, I walk away feeling really good. I walk away feeling really good about the 53 years, the stories that I've written, the work that I've done, the work I did at films, the stuff I've done, TV, radio. Um, I mean, stuff, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound immodest, but I mean, stuff that I helped build, you know, like WIP and, and Comcast Sportsnet. I mean, I, you know, I was part of that, and I, and I look at it now, and I'm I'm proud that I was part of that startup, and you know, and maybe helping it get to where it is now. So yeah, I feel really I feel really really good about my career to this point. And so part of the reason I'm retiring now is I want <laughs> I want to get out before the before the big before I do something that's really bad that becomes <laughs> yeah. a regret. I think now I think right now I can walk away and feel pretty good about my career, and I think that you know there's something to be said for quitting while you're ahead. It is graduation season, I should point out. So you're going to be part of the class of 22, which will be you and Jim Gardner and Hurricane Schwartz. You mentioned Dan Quire before we got on. Um, right. Angelo. I mean, that's a pretty good group to go out with, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is. And I don't know how that all happened, that we all kind of reached this point uh, at the same time. Post-pandemic? Uh, but... Um, yeah, um, and out of that whole group, I'm I'm the oldest by a long shot. Uh, I mean, we I, yeah, we all kind of felt like we you know it, it ran its course, uh, and every one of those guys had a great career, a really great career. Uh, and uh, I, I I guess you just reach a point where I've been asked so many times about why why the decision. Um, you know, I, I'm not being forced out. You know, I mean. NBC and WIP made it clear they wanted me to stay. This is my decision. Um, and I wish I had a better answer than, than saying I just felt like it was time. I just felt like after 53 years and, you know, at age 75, you know, I just felt like it was time, you know. And, and there were a few moments last year uh, for the first time that I honestly on Sunday mornings said to my wife, you know what, I don't feel like going today. <laughs> You know, I was just sitting home with her. We're having breakfast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm paging through the Sunday paper and the Eagles are getting ready to play at four o'clock. And I, I, I was going to go cause I had to go, but I didn't really feel like it. And it was, and it wasn't every week. It was just a couple of times, but it was the first time. It was the first time really in all of my years of doing it, that there were those occasions when I headed for the door and it felt like work. 
I felt like I was going to work. And that was, that was the first sign that, you know what, it's probably time. Because I had never felt that before, even in some of the awful seasons, some of those awful Eagle seasons when there was a good reason to feel that yeah. way, I didn't feel that way. Um, but last year, there were a couple times when I just heading for the door, I, f- I felt like I was going to work. And I didn't like that feeling. And to me, that was kind of the sign it was probably time to go. We should point out Tommy and me will be back in August, correct, in, in Hershey? Tommy and me will be back in August, uh, and this time at the Hershey Theater, which is very exciting to me because anybody that knows the story about Tommy and me knows that Hershey is where it all started. That was that was where I met Tommy, got carried his helmet for the first time, and that's where our friendship kind of began. Uh, and now we're actually bringing the play to Hershey, uh, and we're going to be actually the theater is in the very building that was the player's dorm uh, in 1957. Uh, and and Tommy and I used to sit on the steps there at night and just talk. And that's the building that houses the theater where the play is going to be this year. So as special as all the other runs have been, and that have been great, like the one we had at Bucks County Playhouse in April mm-hmm. was terrific. I mean, Bucks County Playhouse was great. Uh, but the idea that we're bringing the story back to where it all began is, is very, very special. I'm looking forward to it. August 18th, 19th, and 20th, three performances. So please come out. Yeah, and I think you'll enjoy it. Where can they get tickets? Uh, they can go online to uh, hersheytheater.com. Okay. Uh, and, you'll, and you can click on the, uh, click on the uh, oh, there's a picture of Tommy uh, right there. You can click on that and order your tickets. And, uh, you know, order them fast because, like I said, it's only three shows. So they're probably going to go pretty quick. Mr. Kern, final thoughts? I just, Ray, you left the way you wanted to on your terms which is always a good thing. And just you and Maria enjoyed a hell out of uh, the next three decades or four decades or whatever you guys got. <laughs> well, I'll pass that along, Mike. We intend to. Hey, yeah, Ray. Uh, hey, Ray. You got a, a family time. In you, Ray. You got a <laughs> <in you. laughs> No, I don't. I don't. You know, Maria, a couple of years ago, uh, Maria, my wife, Maria, worked at the Daily News with Mike and I. Mike knows her. And she was a really good reporter, really good reporter, really good writer, went to Philadelphia Magazine, wrote Philadelphia Magazine for a long time. She's really good. Uh, and I said to her a couple of years ago, I said, just just out of the clear blue, I said, do you miss writing? You know, because she retired years ago. Mm-hmm. And she said, no. She said, I ran out of words. And that's kind of how I feel now. I, I kind of feel like wow. I ran out of words. So uh, so now we're. I think we're both, we're both happily as of as of Sunday night, we'll both be happily retired. Yeah, but what are we going to do on Sunday afternoons? With the only reason that I shouldn't say the only reason, because I love Michael and I, I love, but I couldn't wait till they got to you with the copious notes, and they always made <laughs> us wait like ten minutes, you know, and then it was finally okay. Ray, it's your turn, and then <laughs> I would hear what I wanted to hear. We're going to miss that. No, Seth. Seth will. Believe me, Seth. Seth will get you through. I, I want to see. I, I want to see Seth's eval- I will. I will be watching every week for Seth's weekly evaluation of Jonathan Gannon. Because you know, he and I, he and I have already talked, and Seth is as he and I are of, of like mind on this. That okay, he's got some good players now. Okay, he's got he's got some players now. Let's see if he can coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's I, you know, Kevin, you asked the question. I think you're right. I mean. The guy who's most under, uh, most in the spotlight right now, most scrutiny, clearly is the quarterback. 
But number two, it's Jonathan Gannon. And I think Let's Gannon. See. I Let's actually, see. I actually think, coach. and I actually think Gannon's more important for them if they're going to make a big run. Yeah, but think of this, Kevin and Ray. If the defense gets better, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're going to be the 2000 Ravens, but if the defense gets better, that makes it so much easier on the quarterback. Yes, it does. Sure. Because, you know, so if the defense is really, you know, pretty good, then Jalen might not have to be great. He might just have to get better, which he's going to have to anyway. But I think the two of them go hand in hand. Yeah, I do too. And I think some of the personnel is a fit. You know, I know Gannon is by nature a guy. He likes to play the two deep safeties. I know that. Um, which means that he's better stop the run because he doesn't want to be bringing one safety up as a run defender. He wants right. to play the two deep. That's why they wanted Jonathan. And that's why they wanted Davis. I mean, they wanted, they wanted Jordan Davis in there as a, as a true run stopper. And they're, they're going to play. If he can stop the run the way I think he can stop the run, then they can play the two deep look all day long. And Ray, you're going to play more three, four, right? Than, than we've seen in the past. You think? I think a variation of it. I mean, with, okay. uh, with with Reddick as kind of a floater on the outside, mm-hmm. but I, okay. I I want to see him. I want to see him rushing the quarterback. I don't want to see him in coverage. I don't want to see him doing anything other than what he does best. That's the coaching issue. Yeah. You got to play to the strength of your players. Ray Dittinger, who steps away this weekend on ninety four WIP. Ray, there's always an invitation to come over here on a Sunday. I know you got field hockey games lined up and everything, but you know I have the two TV set up so you can watch it here if you want. Um, but more importantly, let's you, me, and Kern go to Ralph's one night. You know, if if you got, I would time. like that. Hell yes! Like, I'm looking for. I'm actually looking forward to watching an Eagles game with my son. Yeah, uh, we've never done that. Yeah. I've never watched an Eagles game with my son uh, because I've always been at the Eagles game, and he's, he's usually working, right? So uh, yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to actually being able to sit and watch an Eagles game with my son. We'll finally get to do that. That will be awesome. Ray Didinger, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, enjoy retirement. Enjoy everything uh, that's going to come your way this uh, this weekend. As people be good, I'm, planning to. I'm planning to. Thanks a lot. It was great to be with you guys yeah. again. Thank you. Take Ma- care, guys. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Michael. And uh, we will talk to you next week. This has been Working the 